Everybody else fed? What? I swear to God, the yeah. cat's a magician. Eh? I swear to God, the cat's a f***ing magician. It just has the capacity to completely disappear as soon as you turn your back and then reappear like the shopkeeper of Mr. Ben when you least expect it. I'm sure they little f***ing teleport. It's just behind me a second ago and now it's just totally disappeared. It's a glitch in the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Are you are admitting in public that you're being outwitted by an animal with a brain the size of a walnut. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 25th of March 2015 and joining me on this edition are assistant editor Steve Withers Has lasagna, don't get any onion News editor Mark Hodgkinson Who are you and what are you doing here? Games editor Mark Botwright Wait a minute And audio reviewer Ed Selly Such a nice ass Ed, are you in the bathroom again this week? No, I'm in my lounge I, I, Have you seen no... the complaints about the audio quality yes, at your end? <laughs> Okay, I obviously apparently live in an extremely echoey house. I'm not 100% sure what I should do about that. Well, the scene as soon as you're an audio reviewer, <laughs> and you should you know, don't how, know how, to, how sound how waves speak. work within a room. We've got EQ for that. I can't EQ <laughs> this microphone, though. That's the thing. I'd love it if when people met you in real life, you did just have an echoey voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so um, did we all see the eclipse? Uh, yes. 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 I didn't. No. Well, yeah, but you live, about you, live, you live near the wall, don't you? Um, for further sort of tie-in, I was listening to Eclipse whilst I watched it, and we had a nice break in the clouds. And um, I remember just in the nick of time that my camera's got uh, a, a mode for actually viewing incredibly bright things. <laughs> well, it's not called that, but it works. Basically, you can point it at it, tell it that the thing is incredibly bright, it kind of figures it out for itself, and then you can just watch it on the view screen, which is quite cool. Uh, unfortunately, what I hadn't done was remember to put an SD card back in the camera, so I didn't actually take any photos. That's all right, I watched it. I watched it through the viewfinder as well. It worked perfect. Yeah. I was fairly sure other people were going to take pictures and it might be on the news, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was right in that. You yeah. were right, well done. I, I kind of thought Twitter would just be photo after photo after photo, and again, I was right. Uh, although, and Bonnie although, Tyler quote. Yeah, Bonnie Tyler. And uh, the other thing was loads of people trying to be funny um, uploading photographs of a cloudy sky saying, look at the eclipse. It was hilarious the first time. After 67 variants. <laughs> although, Mark, I thought yours was lovely with the three stars. The yeah, yeah. lens flares. That was very JJ. Photographer like me, you know. Yeah. Know, very JJ. Very JJ. Um, yeah. okay. God. Right. Okay. I'm depressed. I've, the reason I'm depressed is I'm packing up a better review kit that's going to go back, and it, it's oh, such a finally come back to you. It's <laughs> such a superb better review kit that it's. Uh, it happens to us all. I'm I'm having to to do to do some parting with equipment tomorrow as well. So, you know, the whole idea is that you just. Just, just review more. You know, sometimes it's not as good, but you know, the whole, the whole thing is you just, just keep moving on in search of, in search of the better mousetrap. Well, you see, the, 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 although I am packing them away, I'm only packing them away because I've got new speakers arriving tomorrow. Right. And when it's a good bit of kit, and the guys will back me up on this, it's, it's, it's like them taking your firstborn. I imagine. Well, I can assure you, as in possession of some of a firstborn, first it board. kind of isn't. Um, but no, nonetheless, it's much worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, depending on what time the courier turned up, it's like no, you know, you, you go right on ahead. You take the dribbling little bastard, and you know, be done with it. No, um, it, it is annoying, but don't get me wrong. I, I say the my my pack is is going away tomorrow, but there are more more exciting things in the pipeline. So onwards and upwards. But Ed, if it's the best subwoofer you've ever heard, you're never going to hear anything. Everything else today. is going to be tremendously depressing until such time as I root around the sofa enough to find three thousand pounds. I know that I'm in a good place with it. It gives me something to shoot for. Right. Okay. So to to cheer me and everybody else up, Mark uh, Botwright, what can we win? Um, we've got the Thermaltake uh, Core X9 PC case. Uh, that's courtesy of Scan. That runs through to the 31st of March. There's also the Blu-ray of The Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman. Uh, three copies of that, and that will end on 13th of April. Uh, a couple of pairs of Soundmagic P30S headphones. That will run through to the 20th of April. And finally, a Dali Cubic One stereo system. And that will end at the end of April 30th next month. 
Excellent. So uh, those are the competitions. Go and enter them. You never know. You may win. Uh, let's move on to hardware. And uh, Mark, you've been looking at some media players uh, which come come all the way from Hong Kong, uh, a company called Minix. Uh, so what are they and why the hell should we care? Right. Well, um, if you think of an Apple TV or a Roku or the Fire TV box, it's similar to that, but it's running a fully-fledged version of Android. So it's all actually more like sort of a high-spec tablet that you plug plug into your TV and it, you have the full gamut of um, Android apps available to use on it. So, you know, the limitations are just, there aren't there aren't really many limitations. Um, perhaps the, the control interface is, is the one that will put people off with it being a largely touchscreen interface then you've got to use a, like an air mouse, like, a, like these smart TV controllers that LG and Samsung produce, like a pointer on the screen to, to get yourself about. But uh, yeah, it's, you can use, as I say, you just name the app and, and you can download and, and use it. So all the streaming services, whether video or music, all run pretty good on it. Um, you can do browsing, Skyping, uh, play some games, pair a controller with it. I mean, literally, it, they do anything, really, that you could possibly think of. Okay, uh, BBC iPlayer uh, HD. Yeah, uh, no, that, 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 there we go. The, the limitations are that some of the apps don't support HD, so iPlayer natively doesn't, Netflix doesn't, uh, the Amazon Instant app doesn't work properly on Android on all Android devices. So th- there is there is that limitation. But then there are workarounds if you install XBMC. In fact, it comes with a with a specifically tailored version pre-installed. Um, so you can get Amazon Instant in 1080p and the full the full 720p from BBC iPlayer. So it just basically leaves Netflix as as the key players, sort of lacking the full HD resolution. But if you haven't got a device that already does Netflix, then you're probably not living in the 21st century. But other streaming services are available. What? Oh, well. <laughs> now, I mean, I used, I, Steve used, and I used, both use Now TV, Sky's uh, yeah. Sky streaming service. You can stick that on it. Um, I, I've been using it as, um, as my second Virgin box as well. So the TiVo... Um, Virgin Anywhere TV Anywhere app runs perfectly well on it, so I've got like a second TiVo in in the uh, in the kitchen. Um, BBC iPlayer app, radio app. Sorry, I use that quite extensively. Podcast catcher, yeah, all, all the all the stuff I do on my tablet that can be usefully sort of accomplished on the TV. I've, I've been using it just like that. It's fantastic for for tidal and and streaming sort of music around the house as well. So yeah, just great. Cool. It runs games. It can run games emulators on it. I mean, anything else you can anything you can do Android. That'd be of interest to Mr. Botwright. Um, I've got something called RetroArch running on it over the weekend, which gives uh, emulation all the way back to to the consoles of uh, old. Um, using an Amazon Fire TV control and it all works smashing. For somebody like you that's a tech aware, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> not like not like Withers who gets baffled by a cart, but um, if. Your granny was to pick it up, Mark. Nah, it's not a granny's device. It's not one. I, if I was buying one for for my mum, for instance, it would still be Roku because everything just is easy and and works out of the box, and you don't have to tinker about. And you know, it, it is slightly techy still. I think with uh, the release of Android five point which is what it's going to be running on these Sony TVs and the Philips TVs, it it becomes that a bit more lean back orientated. So your remote control. Uh, like a standard remote control with the directional and OK keys should be able to navigate you about perfectly adequately. Uh, so things will only get better in, in that in that respect. As as the gaming as well, more and more games are uh, are coming with controller support. So yeah, we're going to see from the TV manufacturers the assault of uh, Android smart TVs this year, like a proper one, and and the boxes will just follow suit when they eventually get them out when they eventually get them out. Well, I know having spoken to, I mean, this is going back to something Steve was talking about the other week, uh, the, the delay in the Philips Android TVs, it's no doubt down to the fact that Android 5.0 is a buggy piece of shit right now. And and that's, you know, that's why the, the box manufacturers aren't sort of jumping aboard uh, bar, bar Google themselves, basically, um, with their Nexus player that's due out very soon. And is, is that the technical term? Yes, there's a direct quote from the manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's it's not your mum or granny friend. It's not your mum, but anyone, you know, most people listening to this podcast, you would think would be able to use it quite comfortably. Never mind, never <laughs> How little you know me. <laughs> I didn't mean you. I've never managed to get that used foreign Netflix thing. I mean, I, I was completely baffled what? by that. No, it, it, it had nothing to do. It, it, I, I have every confidence that it's entirely down to my own limited and pointless skill sets. Change <laughs> the DNS settings is pretty tricky now. 
I can just imagine you on the phone there, Ed, with your set skills. <laughs> <They're> limited. <laughs> I have a very limited set of skills. I, <laughs> I won't might find, find you. you. <laughs> I won't find you, but if you have a turntable. <laughs> that was a joking family guy, wasn't it, Hill? Yeah, I have no sets of skills. I have nothing in my favour. I'll never find you. Never <laughs> find you. <laughs> Okay, uh, so let's move on. And uh, Steve was at the Philips launch last week. We discussed all the TVs, um, Steve, but one of the things we didn't discuss, and it was one of the things that Philips definitely brought to market, and it can be a good thing, but in their implementation, it's usually bad, and that's Ambulite. Yeah, I mean, the concept behind Ambulite is pretty straightforward. They basically fit LEDs in the backs of the TV, and then you've got an option. You can either have the LEDs mimic the image on the screen, so the colours on the screen would be made by the, the, the ambulites behind, or the LEDs behind the panel itself. Or you can use what's called the ISF uh, mode, which basically is a D65 uh, white um, light behind the screen. Um, now, the kind of the disco-y multicoloured effects, uh, I think, are pretty basically a gimmick, although Philips are pushing it very heavily. I mean, at the show last week, they were showing a new version where it can um, be used with gaming. So it's got a very fast response time. So when you're gaming, you can also have the lights changing behind the screen. And also a version you can use when you listen to music, um, which either has lights going up and down like a volume control light, or um, or obviously it can flash in time with the music, that kind of stuff. Now, again, that's very disco But the ISF mode, I think, is really, really useful because um, most, you know, I mean, you might think that you go to the cinema and it's very dark in a cinema and, and you, you're looking at the screen, and that's great. So why wouldn't you want to do that in your lounge at night? But of course, you know, uh, a projection screen is, is a, a lot dimmer than a television. Uh, and if you go to the cinema, I mean, uh, any cinema would basically be um, be kind of calibrated to industry standards of about 14 to 16 foot Lambert's fill, right? On, yep. a, on a 2D movie. Uh, yeah. That's, that's not very bright. Your average telly would be putting out, you know, unless you've had it, unless you set it up correctly and choose the the uh, movie mode and then, and then lower the brightness a bit so that when you're watching it evening, it's not too bright. But if you're just put it, pulling it out of the box, your TV could be putting out anywhere between 50 and 60 foot Lambert's easy. Uh, and that's really bright, particularly if you're in a dark room. So two things you want to do here, really. One is you want to make sure you've got your TV set up correctly for nighttime viewing. Uh, you don't want it too bright because it is going to be uh, very fatiguing for the eye to be looking at a very bright image. Now, when, when, when we say that, people think, oh, no, I don't, I, my eyes don't get tired. No, we're not talking about your eyes getting tired. We're talking about you getting tired. Yeah. You just, you, sometimes you might find, and I've had this before in the past, you know, where you, you get to, you go to bed in the evening and you think, oh, I feel really tired. I've done anything all evening. I'm just in front of the TV. You are fatigued. If you think about it this way, if I got a torch and flashed it in your eye for about two hours, you get pretty pissed off at the end of it because you put your, your pupils dilating and contracting all the time as things get light and dark, light and dark. And it's working hard and it, it does become tiring for the body. Uh, so you don't want your TV too bright. So you know, ideally you want to set it. So you, basically what you ideally want, and if you get someone to come and calibrate your TV, this is what they'll do. They'll create two separate modes, one for watching TV during the day, when obviously there's a lot of ambient light in the room and you do want a brighter picture, and one for watching TV at night when there's no ambient light in the room or very little. And, you know, you don't want it too bright because then and it's a more comfortable viewing experience. The other thing that you can do is you can add what's called bias lighting, which is effectively what um, Philips Ambulite is doing. It's adding bias light, a nice neutral white behind the screen so that you've got, A, a, a bit of lighting in the room. So, you know, because you don't need to be watching TV in a pitch black room. And I think generally most people would, would, would admit that they tend to have some form of light on in the room at night when they're watching TV. You know, because you don't, no one sits in a pitch black lounge either. You, know, you know, might have a light on somewhere. But having it behind the screen means, A, you get the benefit of the additional light in the room, which means that you can find your cup of tea and your biscuit. But also, it means that, you know, it, it's basically an optical illusion, but it makes the blacks on the screen itself look better because they're, they're being contrasted against the, the lighting around the screen itself. So that's why it's this particular feature on Philips, and you know you can obviously do it yourself. You can either buy some LED strips, strips of LEDs, or you could put you know, just put a lamp behind the TV. Ultimately, as long as you can get yourself a nice neutral white color, you can create a similar effect yourself. But basically, what it means is you've got a comfortable viewing environment. Your TV's not too bright. You've got a bit of light in the room that you can see. You can see what you're doing, and it makes your blacks look better. So basically, it's a win-win all around. And that's one of the reasons why I really like the ISF Ambulite mode on the Philips TVs. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's built in there for you. You just turn it on and it, there you go. Yeah. Um, in fact, when I've been reviewing those TVs, um, I've kind of missed it when, I, when the TVs have gone back. Yeah, yeah I'm with the you there. The is, though, that I have no doubt at all, if you say the ISF mode is quite good, it is. But I, it just the temptation with Ambulite has always been, whenever it's on demonstration in stores, is just to turn it to the campest mode possible. Yeah. It's and the it one just where it looks c- like a bag of spanners. Yeah, I, I think yeah. At no point is my life going to be enriched 
by a television that look, glows like a baboon's ass. It's just pointless. That is pointless. Um, and it's one of these things where, you know, there is a genuinely good reason for having something like that on a TV. And then the marketing department gets involved and suddenly it turns into a nightclub. Um, and, and unfortunately, that's, you know, that's the way the market works. I mean, it's how the market, the TVs to the public. Um, when we were at IFA, uh, there was a whole section where it was turning pink and purples and blues and yellows and all the rest of it behind the screen. Um, totally unnecessary. What we're talking it's about. It's unnecessary, but is that having a detrimental effect to how you view the colours on yes, the screen? Yes, totally. It's like uh, it's like if you were to hang your TV on a wall that's coloured red, then that will affect how you see colour on the screen. Because the, yeah. because you have red round about the screen, it will affect what you see on screen and how you perceive the colours on screen. Which is why I specifically said a neutral white. Uh, ideally, you know, D65, which is the colour of white for video. Because you, you don't want it to, to um, it will it will affect your, the way you're perceiving the image. Absolutely. In the same way that you, you'll think the blacks look blacker, you'll also think the colours look different if you start putting different colours around the screen. Yeah, so you want to be as neutral as possible. Um, it's like this whole dress thing that was on on the internet a couple of weeks ago. You know? oh, yeah. is, is it <laughs> white and example, gold? Actually. Is it white and gold or is it blue and black and blue? It's you know it's how your your uh, your eyes work, how you perceive the colours, and it just takes out a tiny little thing. I mean, the important thing here is that you're putting the bias lighting behind the screen, not in front of the screen, not to the sides of the screen not where it will fall on the screen. And this is especially important if you're using a projection system in a in a light-controlled room. Um, you don't want any bias lighting whatsoever. You don't want any light in the room. And a good example we used to see on the training courses, the ISF training courses and so on, was sitting in a dark room and all you needed was um, one match or a candle in front of the screen. And I'm talking like viewing distance from the screen, like seven feet away from the screen. And it murders the contrast ratio. At the same time, you don't want that in the living room. You don't want any lights that are going to fall onto the screen, even if it's a, an LCD and we always think that those are, those are light cannons. At the same time, you don't want anything falling on the screen because it, at the shortest end of the thing, you're going to have reflections, mm. depending on how reflective the screen is. But it can also, again, change the way that you're perceiving the image if you've got too much light. And the number one rule is, even with an LCD TV, do not put the TV opposite a window. No, don't put it opposite a window. Don't put lights in, in, in where you can see them reflected in the screen. I know this is probably something that comes causes an awful lot of arguments in the average home when someone's trying to put a new TV in, especially as screens have got bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. You know, and, and I bet and I'm, this is going to sound slightly sexist, but I've had this conversation with numerous girlfriends in the past, like, why have you put it in the put it right in the middle of the room and not in the corner? Because I don't want it in the corner. I want it in the middle of the room so I can put speakers either side and all the other th features that, you know, come with watching a TV and sound system. Um, yeah, th there's going to be arguments about that. But ideally, you want to position it where, where it's central to the room so that you, you're, you can sit in the sweet spot. Uh, all the more important these days with curved TVs. And um, you want to avoid any um, light sources that can reflect off the screen and obviously windows. Yeah, you want to sit in the sweet spot. Bug the other half. <laughs> Not literally. Later, anyway. Uh, but anyway, getting back to the main point of this, bias lighting, it's worth doing. Uh, it's simple to add into your system and it needn't cost a fortune either. I think I, I, now I use it on my PC and let me explain, I'm surrounded by screens here. But I put lights behind them all so I don't get fatigue. Um, and those were £12, I think. And they're D65. I'm trying to remember yeah. where I got them from. Tesco's maybe? I mean, just if you've got a little little lamp, you can just pop the new bulb in, put it behind, try it out, see what you think. You know, it's dead easy to do. You haven't got to start buying those expensive, you know, actually not that expensive. But you haven't got to start getting fat carried away and, you know, installing strip LEDs behind this sort of stuff. And just, just yep. try it with a lamp and see what, see yeah, what you think. You'd be surprised at the effect it'll have. Actually, those, these bulbs that I bought, um, I don't have the box to hand, but it did actually say on the box that it was colour temperature. It actually had the colour temperature on it. Mm. So definitely worth investigating it, if you haven't already uh, done that. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Borrow, you got any questions? Um, no, no. I, I've actually picked up one of these little strips since last time we spoke, um, but I've yet to install it. Um, the only thing I would ask with regards like light sources in rooms and that kind of thing, now you're always going to have the most places where you're kind of cohabiting with people, you will have to have some kind of a light source anyway, you know, a lamp in the corner and that kind of thing. Is there anything that should we say you should look out for with regards to that with you know types of bulbs can you get something that's more neutral 
just for a general light source if it is going to be casting any kind of a light towards a screen? Uh, yeah, Mark, uh, just like, like I was saying, if, if you go into um, some of the bigger retailers, um, I'm thinking like B&Q, Tesco, you know, the big mega stores where they have their own separate departments and that kind of thing. If you actually go in there and you look at the bulbs, and I'm trying to <clears throat> I'm trying to remember what the maker bulb was that I picked up. It may have been a Philips one, actually. Can't think of it. Um, but if you look on the packaging, it will give you sometimes on there what the light temperature is. Um, so certainly the ones that I picked up were 6500K Kelvin. Yeah, it's just a white light, basically. But it's it's a nice neutral white that's... that's yeah, so the white it's, not, that's used. it's not yellow. It's which, the white which, that's used in, vi in video standards. So, you know, you'll, it, will, won't, um, it won't affect the image on the screen. And it'll still be, you know, a pleasant white light behind it. You know, it'll still light up the room and, it, you know... You don't want to, you don't want to be using yeah some sort of really soft focus yellow light in the background. And, and actually, like as we move towards LED bulbs more and more, um, they are they tend to be a little bit bluer, which isn't as bad as being yellow. Um, but if you look at the packaging, it should say on the packaging. Um, if it's if it's a good make like Philips, I mean Philips take their bulbs quite seriously, so you'll pay a little bit more for the bulb, but then you will know what what the temperature is on it. Um, Just all wear miners helmets. Have them sort of like pointing away from the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Wear them backwards, like gangster style. Uh, anyway, that's by saying, and like we say, it's a little tip which won't cost you a lot of money. Um, add it into your system, add the light behind the TV, um, and you'll be surprised uh, how much it actually changes your perception of the image on screen. And if you've got a TV that struggles with black levels, um, then it can have that um, that illusion of improving the blacks on your TV without you going out and buying a new one and spending thousands of pounds when you don't have to. Same goes for um, projectors. So don't don't know if you think you're projecting, it's looking a bit dull. Rather than spending a fortune buying a new projector, that sort of stuff, try making the room darker. Because like Phil said, any light in the room will affect the contrast ratio and performance of your projected image. So the darker you can make the room, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying get a black tin of black. Well, I am saying get a tin of black paint, but you're going to get <laughs> divorced if you do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the darker you can make your yeah. room for projection, the, the better. Steve, your room is, is black. Totally black, yeah. Yeah, same as my room. But I mean, we're reviewing projectors for professionally in them, so... I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't, I'm assuming the average living room, if you've got a projector in your, in your lounge, which a lot of people do have, clearly painting it black is just really not an option. Yeah, but you can go for... Flower blue. <laughs> well, there you go, you see. Well, uh, you see, but, you, know, you, you can get colours which work, though, and, and a lot of the greys, again, we're talking about bias here, but there are colours of greys which are acceptable to the other half in terms of putting on a wall, and when you lower the lighting... Just like you, you, you lower the light levels on a grey scale, you, you lower the lights with grey walls. It's amazing how dark you can actually get the room. So everybody now has a grey room. <laughs> actually, do you know what? There's a weirdly, weird moment where uh, optimal AV settings and fashion combine. They're, they're <laughs> grey, believe it or not, it's, it's, it's very the black? moment. Well, the black is the new black, but not for walls gray is very is very in at the moment we're going back to um basically the color palette of jane austen the fact that you you've even just said that it is worrying but um i thought it was more eggshell blues and pastel greens well eggshell blue again is part of the same uh palette pastel green i don't know that what what, what you're getting up to in the southwest is your own business but uh, i just assume that if, if there are lots of grays in, in jane austen's time because they didn't have any decent washing powder so the whites are all just a bit, you know. Not on the walls, you pleb. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the Craig and Rose Authentic Period Colours Opulence range right now, and there aren't many greys in here. That's all I can well, say. Can I just remind you, Ed, I live in Bath. You don't get much more Jane Austen than where I live, I tell you that much. No, no, this is true. <laughs> Steve's going to celebrate by having cholera later this year. <laughs> of the syphilis. <laughs> Again. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we are talking about Jane Austen now, so <laughs> things have gone horribly off message. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'll, I will bring up the point uh, that Ed was getting to, though. If he, if, and it's very true because I went on a, um, I used the car configurators quite a bit. Ed will know what I'm talking about here because he likes looking at cars on the internet as well, even though you can't afford them. If you go into the new car sites and you look at the colours that come as standard, they're grey, 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 black, white, grey. Every now and again, you get a brown. Just you might, you might get a brown, and but you've got to pay extra if you want blue or red. Yeah. I never thought I'd live to see the time when brown cars were 
you know, being sold new and apparently in demand, but uh, dark but, times are upon us, or at least brown times but, are upon us. But the latest one is this this finish, this grey finish that looks like primer. The amount um, of cars that I've seen driving about, that look like, it looks like it, it's just a primer finish. It's like a grey colour, but it looks like a grey primer. Uh, the Ford Focus, I've seen loads of Ford Focuses driving around with that. Looks like they're just having to finish the paint yeah. job. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? Bias lighting. <laughs> Right, I think we've done enough of that. Um, but we do have another Ask the Idiots question. Uh, this time it is uh, to um, Edward. Ed, uh, why are cartridges important for turntables and what are the differences between them? Blimey. I now have to monologue, don't I? Because I can't see myself getting a huge amount of support on this one. Um, <laughs> right. Okay, why are cartridges important? Right, straight and slightly pedantic answer because your turntable won't work at all without one. Um, but in a sense, uh, the cartridge is an assembly which combines the stylus, which is the actual needle that drops into the into the record, um, and then uh, an assembly of components used to amplify the activity of that stylus to an electrical signal, which then goes onwards and outwards to be uh, ramped up further by another by a phono stage, and then finally amplified by an amplifier. Uh, as I say, it's tremendously important because uh, they, you know, without it, your turntable is strictly decorative. But um, what it's being asked to do is uh, an extremely complicated piece of precision engineering. Um, and uh, it's being asked to drag uh, a needle with very consistent pressure uh, under fairly, fairly tight tolerances, by all accounts, uh, and turn really very very little amounts of movement into into actual energy so it's one of those things where cartridges have massive buyer's remorse attached to them um because if you go and look at uh, a decent hi-fi dealer's website the cartridge photos will be quite big far far bigger than they are in real life uh, and you'll end up spending the money and then something which quite happily will fit through your letterbox Will, will, will arrive if you order it online or if you just buy it there and then um, and you realise that you've spent you know quite a lot of money on something which is a- absolutely tiny but within that tiny chassis you've got to do a fair amount um, and value is if you like proportional to what the cartridge is doing if we exclude for brevity there's a couple of slightly left field ways of getting uh, an electrical signal out of this needle but the um, two sort of main ones you can either use a uh, magnet assembly to generate uh, an electrical current uh, which imaginatively is called a moving magnet cartridge or you can use a coil um, which if you like generates this is uh, we're i have to admit at the very limits of my schoolboy physics here but instead of um generating through if you like just moving a magnet not dissimilar to an electric motor the coil is doing something effectively similar by uh, the, the same process that electrical substations work on. And that's about as far as I understand it. Uh, only instead of an electrical substation, you're dealing with uh, a, a, you know, a millivolt or sometimes if you're really lucky, two or three millivolts. Um, moving coil cartridges are generally speaking more expensive. Um, it's a much harder way of doing things and um, it, things get eye-wateringly expensive um, impressively quickly. If we take uh, a company which makes lots and lots of different cartridges, something like Autophon, who made the cartridge that went on the project record player that I um, reviewed recently, their moving magnet cartridges, uh, one of the least expensive is the one that was on that project record player. That's an OM5, and I think they're about £30 and upwards. Uh, Autophon's moving magnet cartridges go up to about £500, which is quite a lot of money for a moving magnet, but it's just essentially improving the measured performance, uh, reducing the amount of interference that happens at the same time, uh, beefing up the separation between channels, so on and so forth. Autophon's moving co- uh, moving coil cartridges go from about £150, possibly a little bit more, all the way up to 5000 Okay, um, so if I was buying a turntable, Ed, do I, do I stick with the cartridge that comes with it or is it worth upgrading? Really, if we look at the first two turntables of this series I'm reviewing, uh, so that's up to about five hundred pounds. 
I'd stick with what what it comes with, if it comes with one. Not all of them do, so you may be forced into choosing something. After that point, you probably more often than not don't have a choice in this film. Uh, most companies do not tend to supply cartridges on the end of their record players, so you will be invited to choose something. What I would say is that unless you're really going for it, by which I mean you intend to spend more than £400 on a cartridge, so you're already looking pretty serious here, just stick with Moving Magnet. They are now extremely good. A lot of the advantages that Moving Course is supposed to have are sort of have been nullified over time. Uh, and I've listened to a couple of Moving Magnet cartridges over the last sort of 18 months, at, you know, semi-sensible price. And I thought, this is really genuinely good. Um, so Moving Core cartridges, you have to have a much more complicated phono stage. Um, they Once they're worn out, they generally speaking, need to be completely rebuilt, whereas a number of moving magnet cartridges, you simply slot a new stylus into them. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a world of hurt. It, it's going, it's going, getting very serious. So for me, unless you really want to go for it, you can get great performance out of a moving magnet. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, ultimate, all four, provided we get to number four, I'm hoping that we, we stick with it, all of the turntables I intend to look at have moving moving magnet cartridges. And that takes you, I mean, in the, la- the case of the last turntable, that takes you a long way up the, the food chain. Um, so, yeah, if you're getting back into it, great performance can be yours from, from well, true truly great autophon make make the um 2m series and they go from i believe about 100 pounds and truly you can get they, they sound absolutely lovely so don't don't feel that you have to spend a huge amount of money but be under no illusions that if you want to yeah you can spend a fortune just like everything in life um anyway i think i think that covers that subject uh let's move on very quickly to upcoming reviews uh, ed we're middle of the month so you will now be prepping to start writing your reviews for the end of the month I've actually finished one and we'll be uploading it later on today you incredibly rude man Uh, that's the Acoustic Energy 1 series is uh, going up first Uh, then uh, a bit more turntable action in the form of Riga's RP3 Uh, then I have to decide whether I want to write about the uh, exciting JVC fitness earphones that I was sent by someone with a very peculiar sense of humour uh, and, well, uh, Ed, Ed, it was either me or you doing the fitness thing. This is true, and I have I have actually had them tested under 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 gym conditions by a friend of mine that actually does. Goes yeah, because we wouldn't have gone to the gym. No, because I wouldn't have known anything. I, and she has actually found some 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 interesting pros and cons to using them in 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 a, in a fitness based environment situation that I'd have never worked out on my own. Uh, and then finally, uh, I will be finishing up with the uh, eclipse speaker package that i am looking at now and like you uh, no, feeling I, a certain reticence about no are you looking at them or are they looking at you well they do both they 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 have a vaguely pixar lamp meets tom cruise war of the world's death machine sort of look to them and they do tend to sort of stare at you but i'm in a good place with them they've divided opinion in the time they've been here some people have thought they're absolutely brilliant and think that they're a, a really nice piece of industrial design. Other people think they're just deranged. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. So uh, moving on, uh, like I said earlier on, uh, I've got a speaker package coming in. Um, X3100 might actually get reviewed. Same as Steve reviewing the X7200. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't done this on purpose. It's just been other things have gotten in the way. And also the uh, Creative Sound Blaster X7, which um, is quite an interesting device. Um, I'm still trying to figure out probably the best way to review it because it does so many things um and takes so many connections and all the rest and you use it for gaming and phone calls and all sorts but it also ed uh, interestingly has uh, some pretty high level DACs in there and um has a 100 watt amplifier and speaker terminals at the back as well to run speakers so yeah interesting a bit of kit and uh, also has pretty high-end headphone um amplifier as well so yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing to review. Don't know where to start with it because it does so many different things. Uh, Hodge? Well, as well as all the little media boxes um, we won't go into detail again about, I have got a 5.1 stroke 7.1 system from Samsung, uh, all in one thing. Uh, Samsung Blu-ray player and a LG G-Pad 10-inch tablet in the works. Okay. And uh, to wrap up, Steve? But... Um, <clears throat> 
I've got the Samsung HWJ. Oh, hang on. Sorry, what's in my throat? <laughs> He's eating the cat. He's got a hairball. Foot hairball, yeah. Yeah, I've got the Samsung HWJ8500 um, soundbar, which is an absolutely monstrously huge, I've got to say. Is it curved? Cur- it's, it is curved, and it's also <laughs> huge. So if you're buying one of these, you want to be matching it with a very big telly. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to dwarf your screen. But yes, it, it is curved. Um, it comes with um, a wireless sub as well. Um, and I'm doing that at the moment, along with the 7200 that Phil's already mentioned. Uh, and then next week, I'm getting um, some Arcam kit getting in an Arcam uh, AVR and Arcam Blu-ray player. Good stuff. And um, Mr. Portray, anything of note coming from the games team? Um, yeah, well, obviously, you've still got the games potty up there, but um, Leon's got a couple in the works, Battlefield Hardline review and Resident Evil 2, uh, Resident Evil Revelations 2 review as well. And Excellent. we should have a little uh, games team roundtable on the, on the latest Nintendo news, trying to get everyone's opinion on that. And we're going to come back to you in a sec for games news, so still we are. Don't eat anything. Right, so uh, games news, what do we have, Mark? Not much going on at the moment, but there is a little bit of news on the kind of Metal Gear Solid front. Um, GameSpot reported there was a bit of uh, infighting between Kojima Productions and Konami, its parent company. Um, And this seems to have kind of some repercussions for the series as a whole, because obviously Hideo Kojima has been creator and director of all the main installments in the series thus far and he's kind of the 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 big driving force behind the franchise and yes this GameSpot story came up with uh tales of restricted access for senior figures to email accounts and the like and, and basically it seems as if various people had been frozen out and it was a case of some kind of infighting and um it was then noticed that kojima's name had been taken off um excised from all the old Metal Gear Solid covers on the Konami site. And uh, now it emerges that they're, they're in fact, looking for new developers for further installments in the series. So it's it was one of those things that may have been coming for a while because Hideo Kojima has kind of flirted around saying that various entries might be his last in the series. But um, should we say it, it'll be interesting to see how it moves forward from here because it's very much his baby he's kind of molded it into this um cut scene heavy cinematic series and a lot of people quite worried that you say modern games don't tackle stealth in the same way that they used to um yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how they move forward do you feel i have to say it's, it has been a very long time since i've done the uh, running around and hiding uh, genre of game i mean does I I looked at some of the sort of information on some of the more recent releases. It bore nothing to in very little in relation to the sort of thing that I actually used to enjoy playing. And I, I, I mean, is he sort of like scooting around with a view to feel he's got more to give or is more tacitly he's sort of running out of ideas in the running around now interspersed with tremendously long, pointless video cutscene genre? I don't think <laughs> I don't think that he he'd ever necessarily feel that he had he'd stopped should we say his kind of love affair with the type of game that he makes because he's making the kind of thing that he likes and, and it's very much unique in the market right now because so much of the stealth genre has, has moved down this kind of very much a simplified route and even on on the kind of cinematic side you're not seeing anything really like what Hideo Kojima does um, but some people are kind of likening it to to some a figure like George Lucas moving away from the Star Wars franchise. But the thing is, Lucas ruined his own creation. Um, Hideo Kojima is still kind of pioneering what he does best. Um, but I mean, it, when you say that, uh, it's still isn't it? They become more and more of an acquired taste, though. I mean, I, I, this is all secondhand because, as, as I say, I have not played a more recent. But wasn't in one of the more recent ones you ha- actually had to have a fairly fundamental knowledge of human physiology. If you were hit or shot, you had to do a tremendously complicated procedure to to actually embark on on sort of healing yourself. And it was realistic up until a point, but it sort of ceased to be in any way entertaining as a game unless you were also sort of busy training up to be a gp 
well, th- this is kind of one of the the, the criticisms that get, gets levelled at the series, which is that it's, it's gone down this kind of cul-de-sac where it is now just for fans. I mean, I mean... People are already talking about saying, well, if if they move away from the the series canon and and the, the storyline that's been kind of created, then they'll be extremely annoyed. But it's now to the point where it's so convoluted that it does seem like it's pretty much fans only. Yet at the same time, it sells spectacularly well. So it's it's clearly selling to people who haven't kind of you know played all of these installments. It's clearly selling to people who have absolutely no idea what half the backstory is and can't remember you know, from the last instalment, you know, kind of like about six years ago. Um, and it's it's just got such high, I think it's it's got such high production values that it's, it is like a kind of summer blockbuster, which is people feel you've got the established fan base who want to buy into it, but you've also, people feel that it's big enough, it, it's glitzy enough, it's glossy enough, and it's one of those things that you have to have an opinion about, so therefore you have to buy it anyway. I can have an opinion about things I don't buy. It's never stopped me before. <laughs> I just looked at some, you know, I, I see some of the information on the more more recent ones, and it's just a bit. It's well, it, 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 I'm afraid. In, whereas, I uh, the original Metal Gear Solid and to a lesser extent Metal Gear Solid too, already there were signs of weirdness creeping in with that. Um, I, I just it was just a, a a wonderful concept, wonderfully executed, and now it's a, a high art concept, peculiarly executed, <laughs> and as you say, it has a so, an established fan base, but it's just a bit weird. Sounds a little bit like vinyl. Yeah, um, but I would argue that at the at the very least, with that, it's um, it's not dependent on the increasing sort of whimsical views of one human being to keep it going. <laughs> Other people's opinions are allowed in, and you can do it. That can be done sort of vaguely sensibly, or you can go bonkers. Your choice. I think on that note, we can say that's games news. <laughs> Everyone else has run away. Okay, moving on, and uh, movies. Uh, before we go on to the movies that are opening this weekend, uh, we've got a new movie review team, Steve. So we've got four new reviewers uh, who are going to be going out and covering uh, just about every cinema release uh, on the Friday, or before, if we can get them in before. Uh, so we should have those reviews up on the site. Uh, tell us a bit more. Yeah, we've got um, four new reviews, one guy and three women. So that's, that's excellent news in terms of our, our demographic, I think, that uh, we finally... Balance things out a little bit more in terms of the female-male ratio in, in AV forums. Um, we've now got four female reviewers in total, uh, including Laura, who did some stuff for us previously. Um, we've also got one of the male reviewers, Tom, Tom Webb, and he reviewed um, he reviewed Run All Night, uh, the new Lee Neeson film about uh, the week before last. And then we have also got uh, Kumari, who reviewed um, Wildcard, the new Jason Statham movie, which opened up on Friday. She gave it five out of, t- out of ten. Said that surprisingly for a Jason Statham movie, could done with a bit more action. Uh, written by uh, William Goldman, who won an Oscar um, previously for writing, I think, All the President's Men. Um, but uh, yes, sadly lacking in action for a Jason Statham movie, which must be a bit of a surprise. We also have um, uh, Cassandra, and she again did a review two weeks ago. She did X Plus Y, which is uh, a new film about a math genius with autism. So I think she drew the short straw in terms of uh, the action stakes there. But uh, um, that, that was her review. And then the other review we've got is uh, Sharuna, Sharuna Walker. And she reviewed Insurgent, the uh, second part of the Divergent series, or Detergent series, as Laura likes to call it, which um, she gave five out of ten to as well. Said it was basically massively derivative. And having seen Divergent myself, I can say that this basically this whole series of books looks like the was written by a 14-year-old. Actually, it was written by a 14-year-old, I think, or at least a teenager, who basically took all the things that were popular in young adult fiction, stuck them in a computer and pressed F4. And that's what this looks like. And and this looks like more of the same, basically. And obviously, Kaz still reviewing for us, of course. And Kaz did The Gunman at the weekend, which is um, the new film starring a a, a ribbed up and, and, and really amped up uh, Sean Penn. It's basically a Sean Penn does Liam Neeson. Yeah, he's yeah doing the problem is that Liam Neeson hasn't stopped doing Liam Neeson because there's been, there are going to be two concurrent film universes and they're just going to gruff each other out in, in, in some yeah yeah make a Marvel's <laughs> Avengers or something with a pair of them. Well, that's what I was going to say. You're going to have the, you're going to have the final movie where they, they're up against each other, aren't they? Or yeah, but they won't meet. They'll just yell at each other on the phone, <laughs> on the phone for, two for ninety minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and there may be some wolves thrown in there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that was that was a good Neeson film. I think it has become known in the trade now as doing a Neeson. 
when a, when a previously respected actor basically gives it all up to make take a big paycheck and do loads of action films. I mean, Lee Neeson's done about what ten in the last three years. I've lost track now. And also, apparently, he's got like a heavy, you know, sort of um, political message within it as well. Because obviously, it's Sean Penn. A Sean Penn movie with a heavy no. Get <laughs> <laughs> away. Okay, so let's move things on. Uh, films opening this Friday that the team are going to go and see. Yeah, we've got Cinderella. Uh, this is a live-action version of Cinderella. Um, again, produced by Disney, but uh, live-action with Kenneth Branagh directing. Um, Kate Blanchett plays the um, Wicked Aunt, I believe, and um, Helena Bonham Carter is the fairy godmother. Um, I have seen the trailers for this, and um, you, you know, it looks, um, looks, looks gorgeous. I mean, uh, Kenneth Branagh's a, a talented director. He can do he can make a good movie. I mean, he did a great job, I thought, with Thor. Um, and, um, you know, obviously this is part of uh, Disney's current trend of taking some of their more classic animated material and then giving it a modern twist. So obviously Maleficent last year was, was a prime example where they took the villain or villain in inverted commas, I suppose, after the film from Sleeping Beauty, from the anime Sleeping Beauty and made a live action version of a sort of backstory for her. And this is a live action version of Cinderella. I mean, we kind of all know how, how, how it plays out, but it's got an interesting cast, a good director, a talented director. Uh, and it's done very well in the open in the US last weekend, and it's done extremely well over the weekend. Um, so um, that's opening. We've also got um, what else? We've we got we've got the Signal, uh, which Kansas is going to review. The Signal is a low-budget sci-fi thriller. Um, I don't know too much about it. I know it's had some pretty good reviews, and it was um, it went it went very well at Sundance um, last year. And um, it's got Lawrence Fishburne in it, and anything with Lawrence Fishburne in it is good in my opinion. So uh, that's worth checking out if you're into a bit of sci-fi. And the other film we've got is Get Hard, which is uh, <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> um, Get Hard, uh, which is a the new world feral vehicle where he plays uh, basically a kind of an upper class, you know, a, a rich banker type who gets sent to prison for embezzlement. Uh, and, he, and before he gets sent to prison, he basically hires a black guy played by Kevin Hart, who seems to be in everything these days, um, who uh, has to sort of teach him to be hard so he can survive being in prison. That's why based from, from watching the trailer, I should add. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I find Will Ferrell very much in a quiet taste and uh, a little bit's okay, but too much can be very annoying. And Kevin Hart's very much in a quiet taste too. Um, for anyone who's seen things like The Wedding Ringer and um, uh, what, oh, Ride Along. But that comes out on Friday. And then we've also got SpongeBob SquarePants, the movie in 3D, which uh, was a huge hit in the States when it opened there. And um, so people expecting it to do well again, I guess in time for the, Christmas, for the kids' holidays over Easter. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm sure we're all familiar with SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, all I can think of is, is um, a great joke that um, the late Robin Williams did, where he was talking about um, at the time he did the joke. There were rumours that SpongeBob SquarePants was gay. It's a gay cartoon character as well. A gay man in SquarePants? I don't think so. A sailor suit and no pants. Hello, Donald Duck. No more. I thought it was That's why he was a comedian and you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, it for this weekend. And who's who's yeah, doing SpongeBob? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I haven't I haven't um, assigned somebody yet that particular treat. I think you should do it. <laughs> I might go and see it, and then I might go and get hard as well. <laughs> when you see SpongeBob, boom, Square. boom, yeah. boom, dish. Uh, right, uh, let's move on. Blu-ray is released next week. Uh, there's only two on the list. Well, there's other stuff coming out, but the two. I think that might be of interest to people. Um, it's obviously Interstellar, which is Christopher Nolan's new movie. Uh, it came out towards the end of last year, I think last November, um, about with uh, Matthew McConaughey, where a mission into space to go through a, a wormhole and try and find a new planet for mankind to colonise because our planet's buggered. It's one, it's, it's one of those films that's designed to be a huge big screen experience. So how well it's going to translate onto disc, I don't know. But the disc itself is... Um, as with all of all of um, well, the previous two Batman movies, um, the Nolan made, it's got multiple aspect ratios, so oh. it's got two point three five. I know I, I hate I hate this, um, but he's done it again. So you have got two point three five to one, and then opening out to one point seven eight to one for the IMAX sequences. Um, and apparently, the IMAX sequences are basically it's still all the space set stuff is, is going to be an IMAX. So I mean, I'm sure it'll be you know it'll be a great transfer, but I really hate those multiple aspect ratios. It really pisses me off. But they don't, they don't um, do it on the DVD. DVD release, do they? Well, they did no, with the Batman, so, so I might just have to watch it on DVD. Or if you've got masking, you can mask top and bottom with the screen. Yeah, I'm not paying £2,000 for a processor just to mask <laughs> the screen. <laughs> yeah, so the film, um, plus also a whole load of extras about how they made it and the science behind it and that kind of stuff. Uh, I saw it at the cinema and, and uh, it has some interesting ideas, but uh, it's a long old haul. 
Um, might be better at home when you can get comfortable and have a cup of tea and stuff and put your feet up. Yeah, yeah. At the cinema, it was a bit of a, an endurance test. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people complain. It's nearly three hours. Um, a lot of people complained about not being able to understand dialogue a lot of the time, um, which Nolan apparently said, oh, well, that was the way it was meant to sound, but um, apparently it sounds more intelligible on, on the Blu-ray. So. <laughs> and the other film is St. Vincent, which is uh, a Bill Murray comedy um, where he plays a kind of layabout guy who takes a young kid under yeah. his arm and teaches him the ways of the world, which I'm reviewing <laughs> when wow. I get around to it, with Melissa McCarthy and Naomi Watts. What? In your, in your cinema room? <laughs> I look forward well, to you're reviewing it. And the cat. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, not so much. Name watch is any, welcome anytime. <laughs> like you could be choosy. <laughs> I think I might have to say no to Melissa McCarthy, in all fairness. <laughs> you wouldn't say no to Bill Murray. <laughs> uh, Bill, maybe Bill, yeah. <laughs> well, you'll have to tell me if it's any good, because it's been a while since we had a decent Bill Murray movie. Yeah, the last thing I remember him being really great in was uh, Zombieland. Yeah, yeah, that's the last time he was funny. <laughs> they go to him, you've got your last, any, any regrets, Bill? And he goes, no, not really. Or maybe Garfield. <laughs> okay, well, moving on. Uh, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, or is, is Edward have us Rouge Nation? Rouge Nation. <laughs> Actually, no, is it just me, me, or should there be Mission, colon, impossible, colon, Rogue Nation? Is that yes, a, it's, it's uh, yeah, Rogue Punctuation here. No, no, no. I mean, I, I thought that looked strange, though. Too, much, too many colons in that sentence. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> Whatever happened to the gold days when they used to just call it two, three, four? Now it's, everything's got a, you know, a subtitle, haven't they? Well, because if nothing else, by the time you get past three, it's beginning to look a bit desperate. So <laughs> that's, that's one of the reasons. And now also with so many films that are a bit desperate, you need to differentiate them in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I guess I guess you you know if you look at Fast and Furious Seven, right? Which we at all least know, they've got the courage to put a well, seven in there. Well, we all know it's going to be you know a mega Oscar winning uh, epic, but the fact is it's seven, and and people will think, well, I've got to see the other six. Whereas if you got something that's called Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, um, it doesn't have a number there. It doesn't mean that it, psychologically it's not saying to you, well, you got to see the other four before you come and see this one. Yeah, no, that's what you can doing. actually go and see. Don't think. Yeah, it's a standalone it's movie. Go and film. see it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, if you think about it, look at James Bond. I mean, you know, that obviously every film, every James Bond movie has a completely different title. Imagine what it, if they'd been using the one, two, three thing, and it'd be like James Bond twenty three. No, no, that's <laughs> that's what I call music one hundred and fifty five. Yeah, yeah, that's what you get down to. <laughs> I remember the first. No, that's what I call music album. <laughs> But I, I admire Fast and Furious for, for, for kind of you know bucking the trend of doing this and, and steadfastly sticking with numbers. Although having said that, then then their naming system is a little unusual because it's uh, the Fast and the Furious, two as in the number two, Fast Two Furious. Um, so they got a bit clever on the second one. The third one's the Fast and the Furious colon Tokyo Drift. The fourth one is Fast and Furious. <laughs> the fifth one is Fast Five. The sixth one is. Furious 6, and now it's Fast and Furious 7. So they have been, and also the chronology is very strange because you need to watch, if you're going to watch them all, you watch um, the third one you need to watch after watching the sixth one, but before the end credits of the sixth one. Because <laughs> there's a little end credit sequence that ties in with the third one, and then watch the seventh one at the cinema. So You're really selling this well, Steve. You really <laughs> uh, listen, the Fast and Furious um, franchise is the only franchise in cinema history that has progressively got better with each film. Uh, and the last two have been absolutely stonking. Do you think genuinely looking than, forward. Do you think that six was better than five? Because I don't. No, no, I don't think six was better than five. But it was, it was good fun, um, and there was certainly plenty in it that I really enjoyed. And the way they got the chronology back with them um, tying it in with Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift was good too. So yeah, yeah great. And I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely, all joking aside, looking forward to Fast and Furious, Fast and Furious Seven. Okay, so that's uh, that's Steve down. Uh, that's what he's looking forward to. And uh, you know, no mention of Star Wars there, Steve. So you're obviously not a big fan of Star Wars. Uh, you said last week that you've had enough anyway. You just, you just want the original movie and be done with it and grow up, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I've just seen the trailer for Mission Impossible, uh, Rogue Nation. I keep wanting to say Rouge Nation. <laughs> <laughs> I've ruined it for you. <laughs> yes, you have. I've um, got to say, uh, the stunts in that, I'm, I'm just going to watch a movie just for the stunts, especially the one, it uh, looks like they're, they're on the Top Gear test track where the plane takes off and he's hanging on the side of it. And you know with Tom Cruise that he does all his own stunts and that they're done for real and not in the computer. Really looking forward to seeing that. Now that I've seen the stunts, yeah. 
isn't it that he he did admit that whilst he's still I don't want to take anything away from it because he's not in his first flush of youth and he's still doing all of the stuff himself. He's got a slightly less absolute belief in his own immortality because Edge of Tomorrow slash Live Die Repeat, whatever you want to call it, he he was very very lucky to escape serious and lasting injury in that. So things have been done. He's still doing a lot of his own work, but it's being done in a slightly less what could possibly go wrong way. Yeah. And I'd like, I'd like to see the insurance policy for some of these films. I mean, he's the main the star <laughs> and everything. What, what, what insurance company's going to say, oh, yeah, hang off the side of the yeah, bush, well, Oh, yeah, but, hang on the side of a plane. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's the behind the scenes stuff uh, for what do you call it, Oblivion, where he's riding a motorcycle and he falls off of that three or four times. And mm. we're not just talking about sliding off, we're actually talking about jumping and falling off the thing. And yeah. Um, right. So. Do you ever get the feeling he's overcompensated for something, Tom Cruise? He's, he's short like you. But here's a here's a, a slight. I, I don't want to drag us too far, but here's a slightly who which made. Well, he's still fairly major film star. It actually still carries a permanent injury from doing a, a stunt on on a film set, and it's not actually that dramatic. But it he at one point nearly considered ending his own life over the discomfort that resulted from it. Interesting question. Toby Maguire, bad back from Spider Man. No, Charlotte Booth. And he lost a finger. <laughs> believe it or not, the answer, because you wouldn't consider it an action film in any meaningful sense, so believe it or not, the answer is George Clooney in Syriana. Well, they pulled his fingernails out. No, no, they That's didn't do that. That's a bit too for my money. <laughs> uh, it, when he's knocked, he's knocked over in a chair, he's, he suffered lasting spinal damage. Ah, you can sit down and have a strong coffee, you'll be fine. Well, so it's true what they used to tell you in school. Don't lean back on your chair. <laughs> well, yeah, possibly. Don't pull it out from under people as well. Mission Impossible does look kind of interesting from the point of view that it's it's kind of all based around stunts. You know, it's if anything, that one feels almost less of a franchise movie than any of the others, in the sense that y- you don't need much of a setup, um, and it, it is just all about the spectacle there. You know, if the stunts are good, then people will like it. If not, you know, then they'll start complaining about you know, kind of Tom Cruise and the like, and is he over as an action hero? No, and that kind of thing. I, I think Tom Cruise is is, is the, the risky factor. I think the risky factor is Simon Pegg. And and huh? can you buy the fact that he's he's going to be more action-orientated? Can you, can you suspend disbelief enough with Simon Pegg? Yeah, but Pegg? here's the thing, which is Tom Cruise tends to get the flack when a Tom Cruise film ends up poor. You know, when it's good, he, he's kind of at the forefront of it all. When it's poor, people kind of say... Tom Cruise is kind of done at the top. That people have been saying that for kind of you know ten, fifteen years now, and yeah, he continually yeah. comes back. Yeah, recently I've watched two Tom Cruise films, which have been absolutely brilliant, which is Oblivion and Edge of Tomorrow. Mm. And people keep yeah, saying right. he's done for and he's finished. But what do people know, Steve? It's true. I mean, Jack well, Reacher was good. Um, in in one hour good. and thirty-six minutes, we've proved beyond reasonable doubt that we, <laughs> we don't know, know anything. nothing. <laughs> Quite a lot of what we're, we're an hour and a half into this. Uh, I mean, Basically, it's going to be us doing some Mission Impossible quotes to start with. Um, we might get two minutes of bias lighting, a minute of cartridges, some film. No, 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 no. I'll have to, I'll have to leave that. I'll have to leave that. Double up on the good material, see if people notice it. I think we're going to have to resort to doing a live commentary of Theodore Rex, aren't we? Because we have. Yeah, we've already gone into the stream of consciousness with this one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't hurt me. What picture are you going to choose for the podcast this week? Monkeys flinging poo at each other. <laughs> <laughs> right, are we finished? Yep. Have we started? <laughs> That's a very true question, Mark. Very true. I, th- I think once we got the cartridges out of the way, that was it. It was downhill from there. Yeah. Who did the cartridges? Ed, Ed's to blame. Yeah, well, you know. And on that bombshell, uh, that's all we got time for on the Forums podcast this week. I'd be interested to see what the running time is. Uh, my thanks to Steve Withers. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you'd walk. <laughs> uh, hang on. Relax your crack, Foghorn. What was that? <laughs> Mark Hodgkinson. Anonymity is like a warm blanket. Mark Buttright. Don't just chew it. (laughs) 
And Ed Silly. He's dead. They're all dead. You know the usual crack. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV4 and affiliates, reviews, news, and video. And you can also follow us on iTunes and leave us a rating on iTunes. Not for this one. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an opinion on this, please feel free to keep it to yourself. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.